What is going on, everyone? It's your guy, Cole Jackson, back with another episode of the Two Guys Watching Football Training Camp Preview Series for your Baltimore Ravens. If you're enjoying this series, do me a favor, click that like button and click subscribe so you can find your way back for more episodes. Today we are joined by a good friend of mine, Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown, including the Baltimore Beatdown podcast and Sports Info Solutions. Spencer, my guy, how is it going? It's going quite well. I'm pumped to see you start this entity, and it's been fun. I've watched a couple interviews. You had a great one with Jeff, and James had some good insight, and it's been a lot of fun. I'm happy to see you looking happy, having some fun, and back out into the Ravens and football world, getting some thoughts out, having some takes, all that fun stuff right ahead of training camp. It's good stuff. I appreciate it. I appreciate the alliance. I was just, me and Spencer were just talking offline. Jake, uh, Jake Luke's helped me so much with some of the nitty gritty behind the, behind the scenes. So appreciate the, uh, the alliance with uh, the Baltimore beat down podcast guys. It's, it's meant a lot to me. And uh, today we're going to be jumping into uh, what I think is probably going to be the most highly anticipated group of the Baltimore Ravens and that Ravens, Baltimore Ravens. And that is the wide receiver group. Uh, before we jump into it, let's take a second. There's been a lot of changes. Let's let's recap who's uh, who's coming to training camp fighting for roster spots. So returning for the Ravens, we have Marquise Brown, Miles Boykin, and 2020 draft picks Devin Duvernay and James Prochet. In addition, Jalen Moore and Jalen Moore is not getting any buzz, but I did want to take a second to note him because Jay Z did mention when he was when he's with us last week. You guys can go back and watch that. I'll link it down in the description below um, that he he's really standing out of practice squad or uh, at uh, OTAs this year. So you know it's it's going to be a tough fight for that last spot, but you know that's that's big praise that he's that he's kind of getting noticed. Um, and then the story of the offseason, of course, was the wide receiver additions. EDC tells us he's happy with the group. EDC turns around. He adds three, you know, pretty big name wide receivers. So we have Sammy Watkins joining as a free agent. We have 2021 draft picks Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace. And we also have Deion Kane, Benjamin Victor, and Devin Gray in camp as well, fighting for spots and practice spot or practice squad spots. So with all that covered, we got a lot to talk about. Spencer, are you ready, my man? I am absolutely ready. I'm excited. And as you said, definitely the most anticipated group on this roster. Definitely. And, you know, amongst all this anticipation, something that I think has almost gone overshadowed is year three of Marquise Brown. Jay-Z mentioned last week, he's, you know, he's a Hollywood Brown apologist. And, you know, you and I have talked quite a bit. I'm a bit of a Hollywood Brown apologist. I think the timing with the the, the tweet, the, the, the feeding your soldiers and then the drops, I think the timing was worse than if the tweet hadn't come out and he had a couple of those drops because in the grand scheme of things compared to his targets, there weren't that many drops last year. It was kind of the timing that just didn't really add up. So, you know, let's, let's, let's take a look at Marquise Brown before we get into the rest. So Spencer, what can you tell us about Brown's 2020 season and what do you expect from him in 2021? Well, Cole and I, or Cole, you and I were on the same page very much so that Hollywood what he seems to do and where Lamar struggled last year and you and Jeff, or excuse me, you and Gordon talked about it uh, was, and, and something we had expressed so many times was Lamar just getting the ball out late, not trusting himself. Sometimes that was a result of inefficient footwork or just hesitancy and not trusting his protection or whatever it was. And of course, Hollywood Brown is not, you know, the biggest guy. He, he can go up and get the ball if he needs to, but not really as much in those contested 50, 50 type ball situations. Like, People say he has a small catch radius in contested situations. I'll say yes, but ultimately Lamar 
didn't just let it rip as soon as he thought Hollywood has a chance because where Hollywood seems to break defenses a lot of the time when you're talking specifically in the deep game as well is in the the transition phase of the secondary and their coverage where guys are flat-footed and trying to transition into their back pedal or into you know their their half responsibility or something Hollywood accelerates between like I want to say you know this is just me guessing but between like eight and 15 miles an hour in like two steps he's so light he's a track star he trains on tracks all off season great 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 speed and Lamar just didn't let the ball go soon enough it ended up in a lot of situations where defensive backs had time to recover able to chase the ball down then it's you know your five foot nine 170 pound receiver working back to the ball when a six foot 200 pound safety is is kind of playing center field and able to actually track and have some momentum into the catch point so those situations were were difficult and yeah Marquise Brown does drop some balls he did but when you go look at, especially in today's game, when you go look at the top receivers, aside from like DeAndre Hopkins, guys drop balls. DK Metcalf drops a ton of balls. AJ Brown top drops a ton of balls. So, I mean, yeah, he does drop balls. And sometimes the football, you know, this is also silly, but sometimes the football just looks a little big for him. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. He's not, I don't think he has bad hands or anything, but he kind of just eh, doesn't have strong hands necessarily all the time. And I think he can clean that up a little bit, but uh, the, the thing that he does so well is it goes back to the Oklahoma coaching points. And I've watched a couple clinics of Lincoln Riley and what he was talking spe- specifically about CD lamb and Marquise Brown in this case. And he likes his receivers. And when I say likes his receivers, he forces his receivers to run full speed routes. They don't like a lot of rhythm break. They don't like a lot of deceleration. They want, you know, if you're running a corner, you're running through that transition as quickly and efficiently as you can, not trying to set up and stack as much. So I think it's it's been a little bit of a difficult match with Lamar at times, but the developments at the end of the season with what Marquise Brown was doing after the catch was, was maybe the most encouraging thing I saw all year. And especially in that Titans uh, win in the wild card, you see him in orbit motion. You see him getting those manufactured touches, able to make guys miss. Even in week 17, he laid a stiff arm down on a quick little, I think it might've just been a little alert and put a stiff arm into a guy and goes and gets a first down. So he was looking really confident. And at the end of the day, he is, you know, Hollywood primetime jet in the playoff games that he plays. You need a catch. You need a big gain. He has been there to provide it. So I definitely think I am a, about as high as you can be on Marquise Brown. I know that you're up there. I know you said Jeff is up there as well. I think he is a rock star in many ways. He is what he is and he's not what he's not. You know, he's not going to be that contested catch guy, but I hate to say it, but if you put him on Seattle with Russell Wilson, who loves to anticipate and throw those early moon balls on those nine routes, I think he would be, you know, having a little bit more substantial success in that area. But uh, he's had a ton of intermediate success over the middle of the field with Lamar. Lamar is able to find him on digs all the time. They run a lot of dagger concepts. And, you know, you think of third and 18 against the Bills backed up in their own territory. Boom. Dagger concept over the middle of the field. Marquise Brown goes, fights, gets the catch, picks up a first down. So I'm excited. I'm excited for these new coaches to come in and for him to have a little bit more of a veteran feel and be maybe fully healthy. Yeah. And the other thing that I don't want to discount and, you know, I'll credit Jay-Z because he did make this point and it's something I didn't really think about, but he had the foot, the screw in the foot in his rookie season. And then, you know, the screw comes out. He's obviously going to be a little bit faster. How faster? 
maybe not a crazy amount, but you know, everything, little things like that are going to alter your chemistry, how you read the guy, how you read their break, that sort of thing. Go into the next off season where it's, you know, COVID stricken, there's restrictions everywhere. Um, you know, guys are in and out of practices, out of games. I have no doubt that that kind of impacted just the sheer amount of reps that they were able to have. Like everything was just shortened last off season. So now it's kind of like things are looking a little bit normal. Training camp is going to be normal. We're going to get preseason games. I know he's probably not going to get a whole ton of snaps, but you know, those little nitty gritty things are huge for chemistry when we're talking about a deep ball guy. Absolutely. And speaking of the limited participation, Marquise Brown didn't participate in his rookie training camp. He didn't play in the preseason. He might have played it though. He might have played the last game. I can't recall all the way, but I know that he did in the first three. He was off doing, you know, speed and recovery and pliability work for most of training camp. And he came in and got like one week of actual practice. Of course, he goes and lights the world on fire. I think he, the funniest part about his rookie debut game, I think he only played about 15 or 16 snaps and ended up with, you know, what 160 yards two touchdowns whatever it was but um so it's going to be huge and talking about james prochet talking about devin duvernay and some of those other guys that didn't have a real training camp last year that's one of the most exciting aspects of this group is getting these guys the full work going against another team being able to do that that live scrimmage against uh what the paint are they doing against a can't recall who they're doing it against this year off the top i think it is the panthers the panthers that sounds right um, so getting those live reps in against another team, all that good stuff is going to be paramount. And of course it will be for other teams as well. But when you're talking about this pass catching group, they're so young relative to other teams. So it might make a bigger difference. Absolutely. And moving into the next guy I want to talk about, it's, it's, it's the primetime rookie himself. It's Rashad Bateman. Um, you know, I know you dove into his film at Minnesota quite a bit. I know you said he watched it a few times. Uh, so, you know, what can you tell us what to expect from the rookie in year one? Specifically, I'd like to ask, you know, what what can he do to add an element to the passing offense? What he can do, and I'm going to lump Sammy Watkins in there as well, who we'll get to, is work over the middle of the field with a big body, with the ability to gain yards after the catch. And I think that is secretly maybe the biggest shortcoming that the Ravens have had the last couple of years is yak. They just haven't had it. Mark Andrews can be a pretty effective yak receiver. He gets combo coverage. Now he, you know, he gets a triangle around him. He gets boxed in. There are eyes on him. Jesse Bates put it very well. We're looking at it 15 and 89. You know, they're not going to be letting him rumble down the field. He's got to go make plays against, you know, schemes that are working towards him. And so I think Bateman, one of the most underrated aspects of his game per, I believe it was actually PFF. He broke a tackle on 32% of his receptions at Minnesota. That means you've got, you give the kid three touches. He's making someone miss. That's crazy. That is unbelievable. He was a really high level basketball player. He was a D one level basketball player. He had tons of offers and you see from that, you see safety awareness which translates to both route running in terms of where the soft spot's going to be, which helps against zone coverage very much. So even a little bit more than man, as well as yak, knowing where the angle is going to be, knowing where the hit is going to come from, being able to anticipate it, almost feel it and go make a move. He was a, he was a driving slashing kind of point guard that could shoot. And all of that translates really well. That also shows up in his hezzies in his ability to stutter in his ability to jab and accelerate. He can make guys miss. Uh, without the ball, he can play off ball. That's, you know, another talent of basketball that comes yep. into it, being able to work without the ball 
get open, make a play, drive to the lane, drive, you know, work the middle of the field, all that good stuff. So I think those are the underrated aspects. The things that I liked about Rashad Bateman the most, when I, when I look at one area that I like about him the most, the Ravens don't run a ton of double moves. You know, it's not their forte necessarily, not the way that their passing offense is set up, but the man makes a slant and a sluggo. And Elijah Moore was the other player that did this really well. That was kind of outside that top three tier, uh, the, the tier one guys that went really early in the first round. Him and Elijah Moore can make a slant look like a sluggo. They can make a post look like a post corner. It is the exact same footwork. They give no, there is no sort of giveaway. It is the exact same. And finally, I think that what he does so well is just his transitions at the top of routes, his breaks are so snappy and clean. I like to compare his feet to Calvin Ridley, his toes to Calvin Ridley. You'll see maybe, you know, an inch or less of his toe off the ground when he is starting to transition through his break that eliminates drag. And he is so efficient in his breaks. He separates so cleanly. It, it almost looks like it's like a sped up video at sometimes because he isn't running faster. I don't really know how he does it. I guess his just mechanics are so smooth that he has no wasted motion through his breaks. So I see him being able to be someone who works over the middle of the field, separates. And of course, he was, I believe, the third highest graded player on the outside per PFF. And Sports Info Solutions had him among the receivers who have had at least 50 targets on the outside in the last two years. I think he had the fifth highest war wins above replacement of all receivers on the outside since 2019. So he's going to be able to work on the outside. He's going to be able to be that X type guy who can beat press. Uh, Matt Harmon from Yahoo does the reception perception, which is one of my favorite things in all of the Twitter sphere and all of, you know, uh, wide receiver conversations, especially. And he's studying success rate against press success rate against man coverage, success rate against zone coverage and Bateman beats press. So, you know, if it gets to the point where teams maybe do start trying to press him if he's successful, he's going to excel there as well. So the Ravens don't face a ton of press because press usually comes with man and man usually ends up with Lamar Jackson scrambling. So that is a, a dual edged sword. And uh, he just has a very balanced nuanced game. And the player that I like to compare him to, some people say like Michael Thomas, some people say uh, Keenan Allen. Some people say a, a bevy of different receivers. The guy he reminds me of is Reggie Wayne, just a very complete balanced game without being, uh, you know, a four, three guy or a six, three guy or a five tenths burner kind of guy. He just wins underneath. He wins over the middle. He wins on the outside. He wins deep all three phases of the game, all three levels he can win at. So uh, someone that I was really high on and it, it was almost, you know, the first time in quite some time where it was like, all right, the Ravens got the guy that everybody wanted them to get. And it almost felt like I reached a point right before the draft where I was like, okay, they're not going to take him. He's not even going to get picked in the first round. Like it, it would just be too perfect. And boom, Spot on, the Ravens take him and get their guy. I legit tweeted, like, I think three minutes before the pick came, and I was like, there's no way they're actually going to draft Rashad Bateman. Like, it, right. it makes too much sense. It kind of reminded me of when uh, 2018 came around and their first pick before the first trade came or trade back came up, and Ridley and Moore both sitting there. And I'm like, this makes too much sense. There's right. no way they do it. Of course, they trade back, one's gone, trade back again, the second one's gone. I'm like, this is such classic Ravens. That's and that's kind of what the, the difference with Eric DaCosta has been. It's 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 you you're know, not fighting yourself to be smart. No, and it's 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 he like I it's he just gets it. And it's it's the Aussie Newsome thing. And I I I hate criticizing Aussie because he 
did so much good for so long for this team. But like, it's not a, it's not a surprise. Like wide receiver was his biggest gap in his career here. Like he just, and it, it wasn't necessarily that he couldn't scout it or I, I don't necessarily believe that. I just, he did not prioritize it in the draft. It was not part of his team building philosophy. He very much believed in the, you know, we can build a strong defense and we can supplement with veterans. Like we, we saw him do it over and over again. And, you know, it, to be fair, it led to success. Like it led to so many winning seasons. It led to two Super Bowls. So like, you know, it's hard to sit here and, and crap on the guy, but I, all I'm saying is it's been a very obvious transition when everyone said, well, EDC work, you know, he, he, he lived under Aussie. He's just going to be Aussie 2.0. Well, if you want a very distinct difference, it's investing in the draft at the wide receiver position and continuing to to take shots and to you know throw darts at the board to find your guys and you know it, it's crazy to think when you look at the group right now like we may actually have a wide receiver core and part of that is establishing a pipeline you know you're talking about taking those swings and misses you have to make contact eventually look at the Steelers they have found a system they don't need to go draft first round receivers anymore because they got the right coaches in place. They have the right understanding of what they want out of their receivers. Of course it helps when you have, you know, a hall of fame caliber quarterback that is going to aid that process. But over the years, they're able to like find Deontay Johnson and chase Claypool and Martavius Bryant and Juju Smith, all these guys outside of the first round because they have the system in place. And, you know, for years that was the Ravens defensive line. Or, you know, the Ravens are lauded around the league for their tight ends. Ravens always have a good tight end group. So it's finding those coaches. And that's why T. Martin, Keith Williams, you know, two guys that have college experience with younger guys tackling this room, bringing in fresh perspective and a clean slate with these guys like Miles Boykin and James Prochet. You know, Miles Boykin's had his struggles, but Keith Williams and T. Martin aren't, are going to hold him accountable for what he does moving forward, not have, you know, David Coley's glasses on who literally does wear glasses. So I'm not trying to poke fun at that, but uh, <laughs> for him to be able to come in, have a clean slate, you know, maybe he takes off or maybe he, you know, sinks underwater even more so, but to have a clean slate, fresh perspective, all that good stuff is going to help so much. And uh, you know, Rashad Bateman working with Hollywood, working with Mark Andrews in the off season already, you know, they're all chummy, chummy, buddy, buddy out in Scottsdale, Arizona, work with Bateman's trainer. And maybe that helps Hollywood in some aspects and Hollywood and Mark can, get Bateman on the same page as ter in terms of what Greg Roman's playbook is and all that good stuff. So overall, it just feels like fresh blood and then, you know, bringing in a veteran like Sammy Watkins that has the notebook on the NFL corners, a guy that succeeds for six, seven, eight years at a relatively high level. He's going to know how, you know, especially coming from the AFC as well. He's going to know how the tight, how a Dory Jackson that he's faced a couple of times or know how Stefan Gilmore likes to operate and have a couple notes because he's a professional and, I mean, he, he is a pretty crazy guy. He's the Lizard King or whatever the hell he called himself. But uh, I would assume he's got a notebook of some sort that looks good. So uh, yeah. all that stuff is looking good for Bateman. And this is the perfect segue because I think one of the missing elements last year was having some sort of veteran leader in the wide receiver room with the young guys that were in there last year. Now we got even more youth in Bateman and Wallace. And, you know, Watkins can come in and he's going to have an easier transition because he's played with Roman. He's worked under... Uh, Williams, I think it's Williams. Yeah, he worked with Williams in the offseason, so he's got a relationship there. Um, and like, yes, they added Des Bryant last year, but you know, he wasn't in there the whole year. That showed the uh, desperation that they were at at one point because they rejected Des. You know, Boykin struggles, and you're like, well, I guess we're gonna have to bring in Des. Yeah, and and this has a completely different feel. Like, I know 
I get the concerns with Sammy Watkins health. Fair enough. I don't really see that big of a concern with Sammy Watkins on field abilities. So like, let, let's take a look at that. Like how do you see him fitting in and, and making an impact on this, on this wide receiver group? In a similar way to Rashad Bateman, especially with ISO reps, that was one of the big things that uh, was a takeaway from last season. Basically, the only receiver that was going to get the ball when isolated, in other words, you know, away from the formation and there's no receiver to his side, was Marquise Brown. And pretty much every time he was isolated, he was going to get a target. So that was a tell. Brown is a guy that's not going to be able to go win in those, you know, heavy hitter strong safety, looking over the middle kind of situations. I think that Bateman and Watkins both are going to be able to run some RPO slants and be able to bring a presence over the middle of the field. Watkins is a little mysterious to me in his deep ability because not that it's it's you know a question mark for him, but his usage on the Chiefs, especially last year, was so heavily towards the middle of the field and in the intermediate 10 to 19-yard area that I'm curious to see how the Ravens are going to maybe deviate from that or roll into that and and how they'll defer between Bateman and Watkins guys that it feels like you're going to take the majority of those, those X or those, you know, uh, twin Z reps or things like that. So um, I'm curious to see what he can do down the field. He had a lot of success on limited targets in 2019. If I recall correctly, I think Mahomes had 158.3 when targeting him over 20 yards downfield. That was not the case last year, but uh, I'm just curious to see because it looks like, and we don't like to put too much stock into OTAs and, and all that stuff and what's going on, but it looked like Lamar was connecting with him deep quite a bit and liked the fact that he has a six foot two, 215 pound receiver that can win down the field. And not that, you know, this is something Watkins is going to do week in and week out. I think consistency can be an issue for him. But in that 2019 Super Bowl, the one that the Chiefs beat the 49ers in, he toasted Richard Sherman with some really savvy releases. He was able to win down the field, go attack the ball. And finally, the thing that I was extremely impressed with, uh, just from a statistical point of view, was Sports Info Solutions will chart broken plays, which means, you know, the guy, run, let, let's say, you know, a team runs a sale concept or a flood concept, and then that concept expires, the quarterback breaks the pocket, turns into a broken play. Watkins, I think, caught nine of 10 targets for 119 yards and a touchdown in those broken plays last year with the Chiefs. So, you know, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, all these mobile, younger, gunslinging quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, they're going to break the pocket. You're going to need to work with them, work yourself open, and go make plays. And that's something Watkins actually did in that Super Bowl as well. He kind of lost Richard Sherman, got in Richard Sherman's blind spot, sat down, and then worked back to Mahomes. Ends up getting a huge gain on third down and helping them win that game. Uh, I believe that was in the early fourth quarter, but late in that game. So uh, working on broken plays, being big, being able to work the middle of the field and, and you know, go get some first downs. Uh, I don't I don't see him. It's hard to put into words. You know, you, you think of Willie Sneed as someone who was a, a tough chain mover, but a guy that was pretty limited to the slot. So I yeah. think Watkins is a little similar in terms of like toughness and and what they want from him to find soft spots, work with Lamar and, and be that reliable veteran presence but he's going to be doing it from the outside as well as the slot. And he's a little bigger and a little more athletic, but you know, Sneed was healthy and Watkins has uh, had, you know, quoting himself goes a little bit too hard in practice and, and misses some time. So uh, he liked that the Ravens wanted to keep him on a practice pitch count. And for instance, you know, Shohei Otani in baseball, he hasn't taken a batting practice the entire year has 34 home runs. So sometimes with those guys, you got to just 
tone them down in practice. Yeah. Uh, gamers, man, they're gamers. And, and, and that's, that's a big aspect. Like it's, it's not really to knock Willie Sneed. He is who he is, but Watkins is just a more dynamic player. He has a more dynamic skill set. And, you know, with these three, with Brown, Bateman, and uh, Watkins, they have a really unique ability to kind of move all three of these guys into all three of like your, your 11 personnel wide receiver slots. All three of them can work out of the slot. All three of them can work on the, on the, on the line. All three of them can work the Z and it's, you know, it's, I'm sure it's going to kind of work out where you're going to see Watkins and, and Bateman doing more of the X, but I think it just, it, it creates more flexibility to create those matchups. And, you know, like you said, when we were talking about uh, um, Andrews or when Andrews was mentioned, like it's harder to key in on two guys when you now have four guys to worry about. And I personally, from what I've seen, thinks Watkins is good enough to take advantage of his one-on-ones when, you know, the defense is focusing on other guys. Like it's now that you have to worry about legitimate receivers. He, I mean, he worked Marcus Peters a few times last year in one-on-one situations 100%. because you had to worry about Hill and you had to worry about Kelsey. I, I honestly think his injury history has just kind of gotten this. He's a washed up player vibe going from people. And it, it's, it's, you know, he's not the number one that he could have been when he was in Buffalo and he was putting up the thousand yard seasons. Like he looked like he was developing into that. And, you know, maybe he isn't going to be that, but as a veteran on this team, that's focused on passing efficiency, I think he's exactly what, you know, the doctor ordered. And I think he's going to really capitalize on his opportunities. Absolutely. And the fact that Keith Williams, who is the pass game specialist, is his personal trainer. And Sammy Watkins is going to know what to expect from Keith Williams, what he's going to want, and how to you know vocalize that in the meeting room, on the practice field, and get those younger speeder, those, those younger receivers up to speed. Also, he's worked with Greg Roman in the past. You know, is it the same offense? No, but they run a lot of pistol and utilize a lot of play action. So there's definitely some basic elements that are still very similar. So Watkins is is interesting and uh yeah like you said allowing Marquise Brown to play in the slot a lot or a little bit and Bateman to play you know all three of those guys can be interchangeable and I think Marlon Humphrey just kind of summed it up very well and you know sometimes you think is is your t- is the teammate blowing smoke up his own team's you know rear end you know maybe maybe not but he said in the past I've been practicing against two three guys that are really testing me really testing Marcus now it's five, six, seven guys that are giving us some problems, and that helps your defense. That yeah. helps everything. It is your entire ecosystem when you have depth and when you have talent with depth. So I, I love the, the signing of Sammy Watkins, considering the pick of Rashad Bateman. As I said before, the Sammy Watkins you know, was signed after they kind of struck out on Juju, which might have been a blessing in disguise. But uh, if you only bring in Sammy Watkins, you have not solved your problem. If you bring in Sammy Watkins and – you know, spend a first on a receiver or bring in another veteran, that's a good signing. And that's exactly what they did. So it worked out well. Absolutely. And then going to the other guy that they drafted that, you know, I, it was 100% a BPA pick. And like, I completely buy that where they're coming from with that. Um, I don't think that was just blowing smoke out. I think he was so high on their board that they were like, we, we have to, even though we've already invested so much, but you know, that was the drafting of Tylen Wallace. Um, I've seen some kind of compare him to being redundant to Duvernay or kind of having like he's a slot receiver and Duvernay's a slot receiver. So where does Wallace fit? So, you know, I don't really necessarily agree with that assessment based on watching, but, you know, watching both of them, I should say. And so, you know, how do you see Duvernay and Wallace fitting together in the 2021 offense? Well, 
Wallace exclusively worked. I think he had 98% of his snaps were actually at right wide receiver. I think about one and a half percent was at left wide receiver. And another one was uh, right slot receiver. So he worked exclusively on the boundary at the senior bowl. He got used in more slot alignments. So it was nice to see him in some tighter splits and in some, you know, slot alignments able to separate over the middle of the field, you know, have consistent hands over the middle of the field and all of that good stuff. Wallace was a, you know, first round buzz freshman, sophomore player has an ACL injury. So, uh, you know, coincidentally, his twin brother has actually had three ACL injuries, um, which is a little strange, but uh, Matt Waldman, who does the rookie scouting portfolio, he has a really interesting point. Wallace basically tore his ACL uh, in 2019 came back and the the first moment he was fully rehabbed was halfway through Oklahoma's uh, summer program through their camp. So Matt Waldman believes, you know, he has explosiveness still that he is going to gain back. Uh, I don't think that's going to be an unrealistic thing, but we have seen him without that explosiveness. And what you get is a really, really, really incredible late hands contested catch receiver on nine routes, on deep routes, working the sideline. He has great body control. He makes fantastic late adjustments. He's about 5'11", 190, I believe he was at uh, his pro day. You think he's six foot one, two ten? He plays, you know, not, you know, I'm not going to, people throw Steve Smith around and I don't mean to throw that around, but just the first thing that comes to mind, he plays way bigger than he is. Yeah. He is going to go up and get the ball. He's going to dunk on guys. Can you do that? You know, you don't want that to be the Trump card a guy who can't separate and just, you know, a LaCron Treadwell has become the famous uh, fable now, I guess is the best way to put it or the, the famous example, but that's not all he can do, but he kind of reminds me, and this is the extreme example, but Adam Thielen has become so good at flashing his hands so late in routes at the very, very, very end of the catch point. That's when his hands come out. And that's how Tylen Wallace won a lot of the time at Oklahoma state I think that people might see similarities because Duvernay and Wallace are both kind of kind of bamps after the catch. Duvernay is like a running back. Wallace has some moments where he's running, you know, shoulder pad to shoulder pad, getting low and running right through a defender. But to me, Duvernay is a much more linear athlete that has incredible speed. And, you know, he has a decent catch radius, but not really a, a contested catch forte kind of guy, more so a, a manufactured touch and working over the middle of the field guy. Whereas Wallace, you know, at the Senior Bowl, he was impressive. He he wasn't really wowing you like a Kadarius Tony with his ability to, to create separation, but just subtle push-offs, clean movement, very efficient. Uh, he, he doesn't do too much. I think he's just going to be uh, a very high-caliber professional wide receiver three, wide receiver four, and you know maybe at some point he can get into that wide receiver two sort of mold, but that would be kind of his ceiling in my opinion. Um, and, and I would think that a role kind of similar to maybe Seth Roberts from a couple of years ago over the next two years, you know, a guy who gets maybe 20, 30 targets uh, and you can see what he can do there. He's just very calm. He finds the markers. He knows how to separate using push-offs and using his hands and flashing light hands. So Wallace to me is, is kind of similar to a Seth Roberts with a little more uh, pizzazz, if you will. And, and Roberts, you know, I think is someone who's a little underrated. He was a receiver who stuck around in the NFL for quite some time. So you got to give credit and understand that that's a professional wide out. And if that's the kind of role he can fill out of a, a fourth, fifth round guy who can go catch 20 passes for you in year one or year two, you're, you're pretty happy there and uh, ultimately providing depth. And I just love the doubling down from Eric DaCosta in general, because it ends up in situations like Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews sometimes where 
one of them isn't quite panning out and the other one does, and it doesn't really matter what round they're in, but you're ensuring that let's say, you know, heaven forbid Rashad Bateman struggles. You took another swing on a really talented guy and you're making sure that you don't completely whiff in that positional room more so than if you just went with Bateman and didn't worry about receiver again. Yeah. And the way, the way I see Wallace is he, you know, I think he's going to be able to play outside a little bit. Uh, like, like I said in the previous conversation, like you can't really put these guys in a box because they just, not only do the Ravens move them around, but pretty much any guy and any team nowadays is moving between the slot and, and out wide. It's just kind of how the NFL is going these days. So, you know, there are some strictly slot wide receivers, um, but it's not necessarily quite what it used to be in terms of like your slot wide receiver. So I see Wallace as more of like a true, you know, wide receiver. Whereas I see Duvernay as more of like a weapon and, you know, it's just the guy that you are going to scheme touches for, but he's also the guy that can go out and get you some slam dunks and, and, you know, you know, splash some big plays for you. Um, you know, I, and, and happy to see someone develop and, you know, address a skill set gap. Like it can happen in any off season. And that's why it's so hard to make sweeping judgments that, you know, this guy is what he is. And, you know, I'm about to say that about Duvernay, but it's, he could, he could develop this off season. And until you see it, you don't know it exists, but I just don't see the type of flexibility in his route running where I think he's going to develop a strong root tree in the NFL. He's very, and that's kind of the weird thing with Duvernay when everyone's like, like, why isn't he starting in the slot? You know, he's, you know, he's getting 20 yards every time he touches the ball. And, it, and yes, he was making some plays, but he was, I think that the one play, sorry to interrupt you. The one play that made people go crazy was that end around against the yeah. Bengals and yeah. any receiver would have gotten 40 yards on that play. Yeah. But yeah. not, not, not to take away from Duvernay, but yeah, they, they did a good job manufacturing some touches for him. And I just see him as a, as a very North South player right now. He, sometimes when he runs like an in breaking route, he almost makes a full stop when he goes to make his break on, on his instep. And so that's a little bit of a, he's a, he's a little, he's a little stiff. He's a little stiff. He's a little, and that's why I said, Texas. I called him I, my polite way of saying that was he's a linear athlete. Yeah. He yeah. is working on a vertical plane. And I'll give, you know, I'll give a shout out right now to AC Slade at big play receiver. Cause one of the things he mentioned to me going into the draft was, you know, one of the gaps that we actually have on this team is, you know, your traditional Z receiver depth where, you know, there isn't like if Marquise Brown goes down, it's like, who's that kind of speedy North South Duvernay player did actually play a lot of snaps out wide last year. He was 50, 50. He was, I think he was one forty six right. out wide and one 53 inside or something right. like that. So they, they saw him as like a slot Z guy. And that's kind of how I see him. Whereas I think Wallace can play outside. I think where Wallace is going to out unlock his true, true potential is going to be as a slot wide receiver. And that's just because of the toughness and, and the depth chart at, at outside right now. Like it's hard to project. We have Bateman developing as, you know, if, if he becomes what we think he's going to be and we know what Brown can do. Yes. You know, like I said, Wallace and Brown will move around and we're not going to box these guys in, but you know, typically Brown's probably going to be your Z type guy and that opens the door at slot for a competition. So, you know, you want Marquise still... Brown in motion and who comes in motion, the Z receiver, because he's off the line. Exactly. And so like, I, I don't know, like I, 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 I just, I, I want to bring it up because I've seen people kind of compare them and I'm like, I don't really see, not only do I not really see a similar skill set, I think there's very specific differences that you highlighted quite well, but I just think their usage is going to be completely different as well. And, uh, you know, that kind of walks us into one spot. I got to ask the question, do you see guys such as Dion Kane or Benjamin Victor 
actually having a shot at taking down that sixth wide receiver spot, or is it just going to be between Boykin and Prochet? I'd like to say it's between Boykin and Prochet, but at the same time, I'm, I'm talking about this clean slate. And you're, you mentioned uh, Jalen Moore earlier, a guy who Marlon Humphrey, I think Wink Martindale, and uh, Ro- like pretty much everybody mentioned him after OTAs. And maybe it ends up being more of a Jeremy Butler situation, but uh, I don't think anyone has the upper hand in that competition. Boykin, you know, is going to have to come in, play confidently and, and assert, Hey, I'm this physical blocking contested catch able, uh, which I think with Boykin is he, it might be nice if someone would lob him up some 50, 50 balls, but it would also be nice if he was running the right route and, and knew where he was supposed to be. And you could trust him to be there and, and not just a cornerback. So that's the, the catch 22 there, but Hey, get in the playbook, see what he can do. Prochet, they like his special teams ability. You know, Duvernay ended up kind of replacing him because of a roster crunch, but I'm sure they like him on other units aside from returner. Uh, I'm sure that they like him as a slot receiver. He shows the ability to separate over the middle of the field really well. He's very sudden. He had an outstanding, uh, basically not dropping the ball track record at SMU. I think he had two drops in like 230 targets uh, over the last couple of years there. So that, that doesn't surprise you. And then, Deion Kane's a guy that the Steelers liked and, and just couldn't keep. So I, I just think I think it will be a pretty open competition. But out of all of those guys, it seems to me in a in a very biased way that Lamar kind of includes Prochet in his group of, you know, uh, he mentioned they dra- they drafted Bateman and he was like, all right, yeah, we got Watkins, we got Hollywood, we got Andrews, we got Prochet. You don't hear Boykin ever mention. Prochet gets in, Prochet gets invited to the the bachelor party and the the anniversaries and the birthday dinners, and I don't think Boykin does. Um, so you know, maybe you ask a little bit of Lamar's input there, but to me, Boykin is just the one guy out of that group who can block better than anyone else. He's really good on special teams, and he came on strong. And I think he showed the ability to dig himself out of a hole, or I guess not dig, but climb out of a hole that he dug himself and score some touchdowns late in the year. You know, make some key blocks throughout the year and. He was in a really bad place at one point. Really, I have never seen a receivers coach, offensive coordinator, and quarterback kind of unanimously blame a receiver for running the wrong route and for the receiver to just take it. And he turned around from that. So that shows a lot of cojones to me and a lot of, uh, you know, that classic kind of cheesy catchphrase, you know, think about the next play, think about the next game, you know, have a short-term memory uh, or, or, be able to get rid of it, whatever they say about quarterbacks, live play to play or, or forget about the last play, whatever. Boykin showed the ability to move past his mistakes. He seems like a hard worker. He seems quiet and humble and all those good things. And to me, you know, Prochet, you've now got Andrews who works in the slot, Hollywood Brown, who led the NFL in slot touchdowns in 2019. Sammy Watkins works out of the slot. Rashad Bateman works out of the slot. Devin Duvernay works out of the slot and they like him over Prochet at least last year. And he, he played relatively well there. So now you're talking about the sixth slot option. That is not very enticing in terms of, you know, guys I want on the 53 man. You have Devin Duvernay to return. He looked at better as a punt returner than Prochet did, in my opinion, last year once he took over. And then Boykin, you know, the tallest, the biggest, the biggest combine freak of all of them and can block. He can also, I mean, they like him as the punt uh, the what is it called? The the evil on punt when you're trying to go block a punt. They like him for those kinds of things. They like him on kickoff. They like him yeah. to tackle, maybe be a gunner and things like that. So that provides a little different ability than 
Crochet being like the second or third best returner and like the fifth or sixth slot option. So uh, it, it's tough between them, but ultimately I, I do feel that you do want to ask Lamar's input in a way and say, which of these guys, you know, is on the right page with you. And it seems like it might be Prochet. Yeah, that, and I think that's a perfect summary because it really comes down to, I think it's a pretty easy argument that Boykin is probably the better scheme fit uh, vis-a-vis roster flexibility and just positionality because they do have so many guys that can play to the slot. They don't have as many guys that are true outside guys. Like who's kind of the, you know, if, if Watkins is hurt and then Bateman's kind of struggling, so you want to get him out of the slot, it's like who's playing the X now? So, you know, I think that gives Boykin a huge bump up and Prochet losing a little bit of his return man. Like, he was a super solid return man, don't get me wrong. Like, he it was at the was point fine. where he'd get out there, and I was like, he's going to catch the ball. I, I can sleep yeah, easy. He's going to catch the ball. I might go get 15, 10 yards. Yeah. And, uh, but he was, he was, okay. brings that, like, okay, he, Electricity. he can splash one. He can splash one. He's a north-south athlete. He's a linear athlete, and that's what you're looking to get these guys to do. And he just has that kind of feel for making guys miss. Finding he's great in the open spot. field. He's a running back. He's squatty like one. He's explosive. Yeah. He can run through contact. Something we didn't get to see him do as a receiver much on his, what, 20 catches? I can't remember how many he had. 20, 22 maybe. But uh, something I think that's what we'll see a leap from Duvernay is, is after contact, yak, rack, whatever you want to call it. That's something I could see happening. And to me, Prochet just didn't show that same physical physical prowess. 100%. And so if now he's lost a little bit of a shine as a return man, it's like he's probably not really the speed guy that's going to develop as like a gunner. Whereas, you know, say Boykin, like we're talking about this, this fresh slate, maybe Boykin's like, all right, listen, I'm a depth wide receiver. I'm not going to be a starter. I need to kind of reinvent my game. We see this in sports all the time. That's the beauty about all these podcasts that are popping out. We're getting these guys on podcasts. We can hear them actually talk about reinventing themselves. Maybe Boykin becomes like, you know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm a depth wide receiver. I'll get in there. I'll make plays when I'm in there. Like we've seen him do, like we saw him do at the end of the year. Um, with some the of The pressure's not on Boykin anymore. You brought no, in Watkins. You brought in Bateman. Maybe he's not, you're not relying like, on him to be there every play, playing 55% of exactly. snaps, you know. Being a key guy. So the pressure's off. He can pick his spots maybe and, and feel more confident. And maybe he's like, I'm going to develop as a, as a special teams gunner. I mean, he's got all of the. Chris Moore. Chris Moore's not Texans. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, you know, I, I really see that sixth spot as being Boykins to lose, but you know, you can't discount your point. And you know, it, it is something he has kind of seemed like the kind of outcast in the room. Like Black sheep. When they go down and have, you know, lunch at the cafeteria, Boykin's sitting with, you know, the stinky offensive lineman guys, you know. He's, he's, uh, he's Steven Glansberg. He's putting by himself. <laughs> no, exactly. And so, you know, it's it's it has to factor in. So it's going to be interesting. It's it's the beauty of this competition. You know, we're, we're looking at, all right, we have a third-round pick versus a fifth-round pick for our sixth spot rather than the Antoine Wesley versus – you know, uh, Jaleel Scott days or the Jeremy Butler rises. Gordon like I don't Lasley. Uh, I'm just so sick of it. And it's just, that's what I'm, the beauty of what EDC has done. Like, I think he's brought in so much talent, so much diversity in the skill sets of the guys that are here. I think it's the huge, it's, it's just, you can sense it. And that's kind of the sense that I'm getting from some of the guys that are at camp or were at OTAs. Like they can see it. They see Williams and Martin way more active on the field than any receivers coach prior to this year. Like they're out there, you know, focusing on very key things. There's a lot more activity going on that maybe the wide receivers hadn't seen in the past three or four years. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a huge difference with this wide receiver group. 
Yeah, and what Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks like to say on on Move the Sticks podcast, and uh, something that I used to to learn a lot from them when I was you know starting to really take myself a little bit too seriously. But kidding. But uh, <laughs> when I was trying to learn a little more and and some of these professional sort of euphemisms and what they say is you want your receiver room to be like an NBA uh, starting five. You want a point, a a two, a three, a four, a five. And right now you're looking at Marquise Brown as the point guard. You've got Rashad Bateman looking like a, a, you know, high scoring two. Sammy Watkins, that versatile kind of three, four, bigger guy. And, you know, you can throw in, I guess, Devin Duvernay as a three or whatever you want. And then uh, you got Miles Boykin as that center. And he's the only one that fits that that real huge wingspan, tall, physical profile, can he get the playbook right? And that's what I think, you know, uh, Keith Williams and T. Martin could really help him with. You have a a Greek god, basically, that runs a 4-4, jumps 40 inches, has an unbelievable agility, blocks his tail off, he hustles on special teams, but he was struggling with his confidence in the playbook a little bit. So, you know, that's fun as a coach, having, you know, an Adonis that just needs a little refinement and that's the kind of uh, player that has success and you feel amazing as a coach. You're giving yourself pats on the back, high five in each other like, yes, you know, this shouldn't have been hard for anybody else. We were able to get this guy's head on his shoulders and get him going. And at the end of the day, he blocks his tail off. I mean, he is a dominant, one of the best in the NFL, dominant point of attack perimeter blocker. He crumbles defensive backs. He will pin corners into the end zone, into the pylon. How many times have we seen that happen? So when you've got a guy that does all of those things, like you said, Cole, you know, he doesn't have to be the number two or the number three. He can take a step back. And if he wants to look at special teams a little more, wants to look at his blocking a little more and, and really, you know, look at Nick Boyle. Nick Boyle is not a top 25 receiving tight end, but he's one of the best tight ends in the league because he does what he does well and focuses on it to the max. And we are a Nick Boyle friendly podcast. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. The sixth so tackle baby. Oh, the six lineman, just an incredible guy. And like, yeah, I went, I, I, I seriously, I almost drove down to Maryland and started getting in some fights when people were talking about cutting him this year. Like it, that ain't flying in the, in my Twitter streets. That's for sure. Um, but you know, thank you so much, Spencer. You know, you've, I think we've covered everything. Everyone's got a good sense of what, what these guys are, uh, coming into camp, what we're going to see. And thank God we have a preseason to actually watch these guys perform this year. Cause that was an element that it crushed me, especially with, you know, me focusing on offensive line. Sometimes I haven't, I barely got to see Ben Bredesen play. And like, now I got to deal with people being like, well, he might not be any good. And it's like, maybe, I don't know. How do you know? How does anyone know? So, you know, now we're finally going to get to see. That was what we, you and I were simpatico on Ben powers last year. We were high on him. And then he came in and we were like, all right, he was all right. You know, he, he was a little less than we expected, but we finally got to see. So we finally got to know. And exactly. that's what this preseason will help in the receiver room. I'm, I'm really excited to see what James Prochet can do on a heavy snap, heavy target basis yeah. in this preseason. Even if it's against backups, it's still film. It's still film to digest and take, you know, that's one thing. Like, you know, obviously dominating lesser competition needs to be factored in, but watching someone's ability to run routes, manipulate defenders, it doesn't really matter the level of competition to take away some of those. Well, key they're fighting attributes. for a roster spot too. And the, like the level of competition is so high. Like, yes, these guys maybe, you know, guys that end up on practice squads are not even in the NFL, but you know, they're still some of the best football players out there. So it's not like they're all just a bunch of pushovers. So, you know, I can't wait to get going. Everyone out there, be sure to follow Spencer's work. You can find him. Publish scout with sports info solutions. We love to see it. 
Baltimore Beatdown, including the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. Good friends with us. With the verified man himself, Jake Luke. We'd love to see that as well. Um, love so that, to see it. <laughs> before you go, I got to ask, how many wide receivers and who gets the sixth spot? Your final prediction. Uh, I think my prediction ultimately is Prochet. I, I'm going with my gut a little bit more than my head. Like I said, you do have that Adonis in Boykin to work with, but uh, Prochet to me is just invited to the the birthday parties, it looks like. I think Lamar likes him. I think that uh, he fits the bill and is a, a competitive guy that probably would have done a little better with a little bit more opportunities last year than, than what Boykin proved to do. So uh, to me, I think he just has a little bit more of a natural sync with this offense than Boykin does, but the same time, I, I might be very wrong just because of what I said. He Boykin blocks better than anyone else, and he is the Adonis of the group. He's a 99th percentile athlete, and he's incredible at blocking, being a hard worker, and things that uh, you you can't quite coach. But the coachable aspect is very much in question. It, bang on, and that's exactly why my prediction. I'm going with Boykin. If you guys are still here, drop a comment down below. Tell us what you think. What's the wide receiver going to look like? Thanks again so much, Spencer. Be sure to follow his work at Ravens for Dummies on Twitter. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. 